0: Hi, this is Chef Robbie Jester from Pizzeria Mariana and Ingest Events. Or, Dram, settle in. This is the Cast Chasers podcast.
1: All right, Cast Chasers. Well, I am excited about this one. So, typically, our shows are very whiskey-focused, and this one is is isn't necessarily an exception, but uh, my friend I have coming on is a very whiskey-friendly person. But really, we're going to talk about food, his chefery, which is probably a word I made up. You guys love that. Um, but he's a good friend of the Cast Chasers. He's a local Delawarean. Um, we love him to death. His food's incredible. And uh, he's a little bit of a celebrity too. Um, he was on Guy's Grocery Games and beat Bobby Flay. Thank God. Somebody needed to. Um, and then recently, <laughs> <laughs> and recently uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, please do um, Pressure Cooker on Netflix. I just finished it today. I promise you it's amazing. I will tell you though, spoiler alert: there will be spoilers in this episode. I'm not not spoiling it for you, but even if it gets spoiled, it's still worth uh, worth watching and binging. It's such a good show, my friend, Chef Robbie Jester. Hello,
0: hello. Thanks for having me. No, it's good buddy. To be here.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, man. My pleasure. So I think I've eaten at almost all of your restaurants, um, being local and everything. You are an exceptional chef, but I will. I'm going to be when I eat your food, I think good, it's delicious, but I think comfort. I think, I think, um, that real Italian, uh, family centered focus kind of, you know, let me serve you from my heart kind of food. And I really dig it. But on this show, it was so cool to see you do that. But then also do the quintessential, you know, Michelin chef plate with the uh, with the little decorate, you know, very, very attractive and beautiful, beautiful plating. So I think it was really cool to see that. Would you say that's outside your comfort zone?
0: Uh, yeah, I would say there was a time in my career where it was everything I wanted to be and everything that I wanted to cook. I would say now, though, it is outside of my comfort zone, uh, although. I do more of it now, uh, with the private chef services and stuff that I do. Mm-hmm. Than I ever did before. And it is nice to tap into like that side of my, um, my repertoire, if you will. Yeah. But yeah, I, my wheelhouse is definitely the, the comfort food, the stuff, the stuff that I, I, I want to see more than once a year. Yeah. So yeah. I, I like restaurants and enjoy something that you're going to be able to do a, a couple times a month or whatever. Have you?
1: Well, you were a little bit of an underdog on the show. Um, I don't want to take away because from what you are as a chef because you're incredible. Um, your palate's amazing and everything else. I really want to get that there. But there was moments in the show where, I guess because I know you, and I know you're, you, you've got a really cool, calm, collect demeanor, and Food Network and shows like that has taught us that chefs are supposed to be more assholes, and you're not. So I think there was this underdog vibe to you. Because you weren't like, you know, uh, there was, I'm not going to name names, but there was a couple of characters on the show that really, you know, tossed around who they were and what they were and, you know, ego was a big part of it. But then you came out the other end, I mean, obviously the winner, but you kicked ass and took names and stayed humble the entire time. You're not the typical chef. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? It's not what we've been taught from the outside. You're not, I didn't see you throw one pan at somebody. Not one. (laughs)
0: I never threw anything at anybody. I might have thrown it in the, it might have aggressively made its way into the bus tub other than the counter a couple of times. But um, yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I grew up, my dad was a chef and I learned tons from him, but he was the the screamer, the pot thrower. He was that guy. So when you grow up with that, and that's like your introduction into the cooking world, like you have a tendency to kind of try and distance yourself from it a little sure. bit. So, uh, and, and I just don't like to operate at that, like at that pitch it's just not comfortable for me uh i can get there uh, and i can be uh, like you know aggressive like that when it's effective but i'd much rather everyone just do a great job and in this scenario on this show there were plenty of like high strung personalities that i didn't have to be that person and on a day-to-day basis it's just not who i am anyway right uh so I kind of let them go do their thing and get get upset and get angry and and do your thing. And I'm going to sit here. I'm going to be positive about it. I'm going to try and help you when I can help you. But when you're on the other team, I'm going to try and whoop your ass. So that's kind of
1: It's almost like getting your ass kicked in the most pleasant way. I think you're just you're so kind, um, and you'll see for the listeners that watch the show. You really do come at this with your heart on your sleeve, with emotion and with love in the food. And it's I mean it's a shame that there's no taste, uh, sensory uh, with TV yet. Um, I'm sure that's coming bezos your call um but uh whoever you know what i mean amazon can fly in little flavor packets while we watch cooking shows but your food's incredible but you can see that it tastes good just why watching facial expressions you know watching your peers in some cases where you know i know you weren't the one they may have been rooting for but you the food was just so good they just they you just, they couldn't lie you know what i mean maybe there was yeah. a you know um who impressed you the most on the show who 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 stood? I mean, who shocked you out of the entire you know, cast?
0: I, I mean, honestly, like I, I, really wish that more of the interpersonal stuff had made it to air. That you know, because they made it very much about the cooking challenges, and that's what it is—it's cooking competition show. But I, I really wish they had shown a little bit more of the personal stuff because there were some really important, awesome conversations, and I think that some of people's personalities got a little bit. Um, lost because who they are in the kitchen is who is different from who they are outside of the kitchen uh i would say people that i was impressed with uh you know renee honestly um her food is not as complicated as some others on the show but man is it delicious and it's delicious in like i find myself like when i tasted certain things that she made i i was like Not that I expected it to not be delicious, but I was like blown away by how delicious it was and how like her food kind of danced on your tongue a little bit. Like it was it just hit the right notes Um, and she could make something that looked very simple in presentation, but the taste wise, it was bonkers. So like on the chocolate challenge where she had to use chocolate in a savory dish. Uh, not to throw too many spoilers in this, but like that stuff underneath that prawn was one of the best bites of food I've had the entire, wow. like I had the entire, and it was like, you tasted it and you're like, wow, like I, I want to know what's, I, I know what's in this cause I watched it be made, but it just, it's so delightful that I just wish I had paid a little bit more attention. Um, and she's a fantastic human being as well, just since the show. We all pretty much still have a relationship. We talk. Uh, I talk to her a little bit more than I talk to some of the others, and just um, a first-class human being. And you see that on the show, but like in person, it's even more so. Like I can't speak enough about these guys. They like they put the best group of eleven people in a house together uh, imaginable. And even even the ones that kind of like play the villain, so to speak, on the show. Um, you know, Gina gets a bad rap because Gina was playing the game. Um, she is she's one of my favorite people from the show. Like her and I talk on a regular basis. I just think she is just a really unique person and really like somebody that I'm happy I met.
1: Yeah, they. I am very careful with these shows because they're they're interesting, they're fun, but it, it is the job of the producer and the director to make a compelling story and simple to simplify, you need a villain, you need a guy to root for. you need a, you need an underdog I, I think I think for me, Sergey seemed to be i don't want to use the word villain because i i i mean his concept, his plating, it was beautiful, but I think they did a good job of of really making him out to be the evil genius. Um, that's my perspective, but I can tell you who I felt more the most for to be honest was Brian. My heart broke for him because I mean, I, I can tell he's the kind of guy that's probably a really good chef and he just had bum luck and mm. it, it, and he kind of left kind of early and you really didn't get to see him come out of a shell and, and do more and get to know the kitchen better and everything. So I, I think if I... I think he's the one that I... I was rooting for you because I know you, but I think he was the one I was sad to see kind of go a little early because I felt like, you know, he just couldn't catch a break. But... Um,
0: yeah, you know, I think... I think that that's, that's a sentiment that we felt in the house too. Uh, he was kind of like uncle Brian, like <laughs> they, so on the show they called me dad and they called Ed uncle. Uh, but Brian to me, like, like was that uncle kind of guy too? like off, uh, not off camera. Cause we weren't off camera ever, but just like outside of the kitchen. Um, yeah, I think that he just got played, you know, played a bad hand. Yeah. A couple hands in a row and you know did the best that he could but you know he's a great dude yeah i you You can tell when the when when the show came out he was one of the ones that i like i like called and you know we, we had a little moment you know about each other and everything like that like he he's given me some business advice since the show and this is a guy who literally picked like built his his career himself like started as a dishwasher doesn't have any classical training doesn't have any fancy michelin star restaurants in his repertoire he is just a hard damn worker and a street smart guy he owns his own restaurant with a banquet space he's owned multiple restaurants uh loves his family loves his wife loves his kid and loves life in general he's just so much fun so yeah i wish i wish he had gotten an opportunity to stay around a little while
1: he said he was gonna name a, a one a dish after you. And uh I think Yeah.
0: Yeah, we talked about that yesterday too.
1: Yeah, yeah. What was it again? You broke up there, but uh, it was um it was uh some kind of um I don't know, was it chip? It was garlic bread. Garlic bread. It was garlic. like in a chip form.
0: So so I made like a little like a little wedge of garlic bread. And very, very lightly toasted, so it wasn't colored at all. It just had, like, a little bit of texture on the outside of it. Made, like, a, just a seasoned compound butter, but then I had a garlic chip and roasted garlic on it. So it was, like, you could, as the diner, take one of those things off or just get in there and make it as garlicky as you want. Uh, but they all really, really liked that little sliver yeah, of garlic. Did. And to me, you know, mom's pasta bolognese, I was just making a spaghetti sandwich.
1: Yeah, it was incredible. It looked incredible. It's one of my favorite foods. Uh, when I saw that came out, I was like, "That's that's that's Robbie all day long." So you also did something. We got to speak a little to whiskey. So I'm gonna we're gonna do two. First off, we're drinking the Whistle Pig piggyback. It's a six year rye high proof rye, hundred um, percent rye, ninety six point five six proof, age six years. Um, it's uh, I haven't had this in a long time but it's absolutely incredible. So that's what Robbie and I are sipping on right now. Speaking of rye, you did a rye whiskey pork belly um, as one of your last dishes. Uh, I love when people cook with whiskey because to me, I've seen brandy dishes, obviously wine dishes, but whiskey and specifically rye, there's so many flavors in there that you can coax out if you do it right. Um, can you talk about that dish a little bit and you know, why rye? Is it is it a classical thing? Like I just want to hear I wanna I wanna try to replicate it in the worst way possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, abs- so we can definitely talk about it. And it actually it was whistle pig that I used. Nice for that.
1: Nice, nice, uh, nice, nice.
0: So rye for me, like I lean towards rye. I love rye whiskeys. I love whistle pig and every you know, I like the old world, um, I like the the farmers, I you know, and I love the eighteen-year double malt, uh, which is the highest end of Whistle Pig that they have, it to me it's the best thing in a whiskey I've ever tried. I actually have a tiny bit left on my shelf right now. Uh, my wife bought me for our wedding that I'm just saving for a special occasion. But for the pork belly, what we did is we cured it with the whiskey. So I took uh, brown sugar, um, kosher salt, juniper berries rosemary a couple other spices we kind of blended those in a spice grinder and then we added the whiskey to it and we cured quick cured the pork belly so we put the pork belly in a backpack bag vacuum sealed it um for I want to say like an hour and a half you know so sucked all the air out of it so really all the whiskey and everything gets into the pork belly itself and seasons it uh then we pulled it out and pressure cooked it with some more whiskey in the pressure cooker uh it's funny it was the only time a pressure cooker was used on the pressure cooker uh, so we we pressure cooked it to get it nice and tender and everything like that so then I brought it out I made a I love this like crayol mustard maple um like honey mustard so it's just literally pure maple syrup uh Krayol or stone ground mustard and horseradish and it's just in like the right proportions and i put a little bit of whiskey in that so i glazed the mm. pork belly with that in the oven and then i pulled it out of the oven deep fried it it's mm. in and and deep fried it again and glazed it again. So really it really was glazed three times. But when you glaze something and then you deep fry it, it's absolute terrible. <laughs> it's terrible for your frying oil. However, it really like the, the sugars in that glaze, like caramelized to that piece of meat. And you just get this crust on the outside of it. And it's what the, I mean, they loved it. I mean, if you watch the show back, that uh, pork belly was the the showstopper for that particular dish. And it was only a portion of it. You know, it was a take on shrimp they really loved
1: it. I, I I wanted you to take this however you want to take this. And if it comes across as creepy, it is what it is. Um, I'd love for you to come to my house, sit beside my bed while I fall asleep, and just read recipes like that until I fall into <laughs> You know what I mean? Just sit there with like a fire crackling in the back. And I just want to hear you say, you know, glaze and double fried and, and just read that to me as I fall asleep. Um, I am I, – I, I love food. I love whiskey. that's why I have a show, but I love food so much. and I'm one of those I'm one of those guys that thinks I'm, I, I think I'm a foodie. I think I am. and I try to replicate and do. but it's gotten so complicated now. like what I love about rustic food is it's just another way to say I can make this at home. And it's very comforting. It's what mom made. I grew up very poor in the South. So a lot of poor Southern food to me is, is just deep and rich and flavorful and comfortable and delicious. Um, but some of these things are getting so complex. sous vide uh, I have a buddy that bought one and he, you know, he's that guy now. And I, all I can think is what a douche and I don't love him anymore. Um, <laughs> but I'm also jealous at the same time because he has one. Food now is just getting so complex. You had a dish that, that one up against Mike, Chef Mike, who, the, for being so young, his technical understanding, I mean, you could probably speak to this a little bit more. He brought out a plate that was literally on dry ice. I mean, it was it was just fogging and machines were... I mean, it was like something from the future. <laughs> it was like... I, I heard this 1980s like Tron music playing as it came out. And then you, your plate right beside it was very traditional, rustic, and it just... Visually, his was just gorgeous. Yours kicked its ass because of flavor and technique, and and they used the word. Uh, I forget. I think it might have been Chef Ed um, said. Um, yeah, you know, Mike's Mike's got all that technical ability, but you know, Robbie has tenure. He's got time. And can you talk about the difference between plating and beauty and smoke and mirrors and just sometimes it's just better to just to just have a good piece of food in front of you. And how do you bring those two as a chef? What's more important? I know it seems obvious, but, but that was a moment where it didn't seem obvious. Does that make sense?
0: Yep. So, so I love that you asked that question. I think in one of the earlier episodes, I said, it sounded really good when I was listening to it back, but it was like, if it don't taste good and it don't look good, it don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And, I think I think every chef in like the progression of our career, we go through this a little bit. I think that Mike, with some some more maturity, will Mike. Look, I'll be the first person to admit it. Uh, Mike is a better cook than me. Mm. Like, I will say that, like his knowledge base of different techniques and things like that for his age is unparalleled. He is a better cook than me. Now, this this show is about being a chef. And chef encompasses not just like the cooking technique, which he's great at, but also your ability to lead, your ability to inspire, your ability to touch people. Um, and I think that that is, you know, that that's what takes us from a cook to a chef is like once you're responsible for other people and you have to like, you know, you have to inspire them to do the same thing that you do. Then it it, it takes it to another level. Now, from a culinary standpoint, when you graduate and you like work in a couple cool places and stuff like that. You have the tendency to want to fit all of your technique and everything, you know, in a one plate. You're like, I just want to show them every single thing that I know that I can do to a scallop on this plate. And I think that that's kind of what he did there. And at the end of the day. Was it impressive? Absolutely. Was it? a good plate of scallops? Absolutely. Was it the most delicious thing on the table? No, because I feel like he was trying to show everyone every single thing that he knew how to do. And you saw that with him throughout the competition, right? Like, you know, the couple times that he made pasta, like it was like, I'm going to show you that I know how to make pasta and I can make it in an hour and I can do these things, but then it's not quite cooked enough. So like it's great that you can show us that you know that shape, you know how to make that, and stuff like that. But it has to be, it has to be technically delicious every single time. And I've learned to take some things off the plate and focus on it being appealing, and not just appealing to the person that dines at Michelin star restaurants on a regular basis, but appealing to someone who may not, may not have that background. But they're going to want to enjoy this. And I think that my final menu really spoke to that portion of me that's like I am playing this not just for the person who wants to go to per se and wants to go to Thomas Keller's restaurants. But the person who just wants to go out and have a delicious meal and they want it to look good. They want it to taste good, but they don't really know anything about it beyond that. I think that I spoke more to that person. So my, my menu is a little bit more relatable.
2: And as you know, single malt whiskey is made all over the world. Yeah, babe, everywhere. Right, everywhere. You'd be surprised to hear that there are few, very few, just a handful of single malt distilleries in England. Is that true? It actually is true. Wow. Impex is proud to be the importers of Spirit of Yorkshire Distillery. Okay. Located right by Filey Bay. Right by it? Right by it. Filey Bay? Filey Bay. The Filey Bay? The Filey Bay. Okay. Making some of the finest world class whiskies, And guess what? What? Spirit of Yorkshire Distillery is another distillery that was helped out by the one, the only Dr. Jim Swan. The Jim Swan. Yeah. Which, as you know, played a huge part in so many of the other brands within the Impex portfolio. Sure. From Kilhoman to MH to Pandaren and so on. All of them, babe. So we are proud to have. This f- maker of fine single malt whiskey in our portfolio. Take a look for it. It'll say finally bay on the bottle. Okay. Snap it up. If yeah. you like big fruity, tropical fruity whiskeys. Oh. That is for you, baby. All right. All right. Impex Beverages. Yeah. Proud sponsor. Of. Cask. Chasers. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah, when
1: that, when that scene... Happened, I you know obviously I knew I was going to be interviewing you, so I was trying to, you know, think about it through a lens that I understood. So I, I related it. I was talking to Dana, my wife. It reminded me of, um, and I, I again I, keep, I I don't want to I keep I feel like I'm downplaying you too much with you know comparing you and that's not what I'm trying to do. Again, I've I'm I've from, my listeners are all over the world. I've had the luxury of having your food. You're an exceptional chef. So I really want to sell this the right way, but I use an analogy. I had a drink one time, um, and it was a it was a restaurant in uh, somewhere in PA, and they served me this this cocktail, somewhat of an old fashioned, an Earl Grey pomegranate old fashioned in a it was in a miniature bathtub. Um, it looked like a little bathtub and uh, like a clawfoot bathtub, and it had like in the bathtub. Little floaty pieces of flour and pomegranate, you know, the little, the little, um, you know, pockets of juice or whatever. And it was, it was good. And the presentation was, you know, interesting. And it was a conversation. Um, I asked about the whiskey and they said, uh, oh, it's, I think we're using bullet. It was bullet rye, nothing against bullet rye, but it didn't bow down to the balance of whiskey, what you wanted in old fashioned. And I, I kept thinking, it's cool looking. It's an interesting concept, but is this a an old fashioned? Then I went to a restaurant years later, and I had a duck fat washed old fashioned um, with um, with um, what was the rye that was in that? I, I want to say it was wilderness trail um, their rye, but it was purposeful. The rye was forward. The rye the, the, the brand of rye was on in the ingredient. It, it was very beautiful. It was well done, but it was an old-fashioned like I understood an old-fashioned. It spoke to me as an old-fashioned. and had all the concepts and flavors there. It wasn't in a bathtub. There wasn't smoke. There weren't mirrors. Um, so I think there's a moment where we get lost in presentation. Whiskey does the same thing. You know, there's whiskeys out there that are so out-of-this-world bottling or secondary. You know, this was finished in a, you know— french oak and then finished in a you know uh persimmon cask and then natural sourced honey and you're like oh cool but i'm I'm just gonna have yep. the makers 46 thanks um you know it's yep. it's like i think sometimes you can go too far with trying to put on a show and sometimes it did you really give a shit about the ingredients and did you serve something that could tell a story your bolognese, that that pasta you served, I'm sure you've watched it. Everyone around the table, I, I think it was, I think it was Lana who said it brought her back to her childhood in the Bronx. You told a story of those people, and you watched them go. It was almost like in the scene Ratatouille where he flashbacks to his you know mom making him you know it, it that literally happened. You literally did that to those chefs. You showed them. Something new, interesting, delicious, and then you also lean, you know, push them back into a memory, which is to me what food and whiskey and everything's all about. They called you a sleeper. That was the term that was used. Um, I want talk. Let's talk about that a little bit. There was a little controversy online about, you know, some people thought techniques and we talked about a little bit about these smokes and all this stuff and then you're this very hard on your sleeve very emotional very driven very family focused um chef and then at the end you won rightfully so and the term that was used one of my favorite words is sleeper he was a sleeper what does that mean to you is that a compliment do you think do you think you were under. I, I keep bringing up the word underestimated. Do you feel like you were underestimated, or is that just the show making us see something that we? Uh...
0: Um, I do feel like I was underestimated. But I, it, you know, in all fairness, I feel like I underestimated my underestimated myself. Um, you know, early on, I you know, I looked at things and I, I made food that was true to me, but then like I had a couple of rounds where I was like trying to make my food, but make it like their way. So it was like more like theirs. Um, and I just kind of like went full circle, like the, the further that the show went on. But I feel like for, for me, the, the term sleeper, I mean, I kind of, I kind of like it.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Me too.
0: Uh, you know, don't, don't, you know, cause it's kind of like, don't underestimate me. Um, don't underestimate my experience and my ability. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that you're surprised. It's much better to me for them to like taste that and go, Oh wow. Cause even Sergey in that moment, like yes. who didn't much nice to say about me at all. Like, not, not like he had an agenda or anything in that final tasting. <laughs> um, but, uh, even he was like, this is like, this is delicious. This is exactly what you want this to be. Um, and for me, you know, that's that's kind of it is like the one thing I didn't do the entire time was underestimate anybody. Yeah. Like I knew that they were all there for a reason. I knew that they could all cook. And the moment that I decided to put my guard down, one of them could take me out. And uh, I I would much rather than be pleasantly surprised than expecting the world and being disappointed, yeah. which I do think something that happened to several of them throughout the process where everyone was expecting the world of them. And then the food didn't match up to the expectation.
1: Yeah. there was some sad moments um, where some chefs, you know, all of them obviously incredible chefs, but there were some moments where, you know, a dish fell flat or looked terrible and you could tell they were heartbroken. No one put out a dish that they messed up that they didn't realize they messed up before it went out, which I respected. Why why do you think Mike picked you to go head to head at the end? Um I think it was the right call. I I I don't think he did it there was somebody said that, you know, he, you were somebody he could beat. I don't think that's what the case was. I think he believed in you. That's my personal opinion. I think he uh, saw yeah. He wanted a challenge. So you.
0: that you know, and that mirrors the conversations that we had that didn't make it to the show. Um Yeah, I mean, I heard that. So I didn't hear that before watching it back, but I heard that like, oh, I think it was smart of Mike to choose Robbie because Mike knows that he can beat Robbie.
1: Before you jump in, I want to say this, though, and I'm sorry to interrupt you because I want to hear your opinion. That is such a slight to Mike. It's not because that to me, because why would Mike wanted to Mike wanted to challenge himself? Mike didn't want to just win, he has something to prove. I think he picked the chef that he thought this is going to be the guy that's going to challenge me the most because, you know, your nobody can taste your food on that show. They can't see how good your food is. So I saw that and I heard I didn't think, "Oh, well that's that's a sting to Robbie." I thought I said that's a shitty thing to say about Mike. You know what I mean? Yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to I agree, yeah.
0: I agree. Yeah. Um I think that I think that a lot of, I think those comments were in reflection of how other people felt mm-hmm. about me. Um, and I can tell you with the exception of Ed and Lana in a finale situation, I'm not sure that there's anybody they could have beaten Mm-mm. Um, Mm-mm. Not, not with what we knew about the show, which was, it wasn't all about the food. It was about your position in the house. Um, and it, it, you know, in that case, like, Yeah, I think it's kind of shitty to say that about Mike, you know, to, to, and one, to have grown to know him across the entire show. And then to say, to think that he would take the last possible minute, he would take the easy way out. Yeah. You know, they, you know, that's just, that's not who he was. And if, if they thought that's why he made that decision, then they weren't paying attention. Yeah. Um, I think Mike appreciates me as a man and as a person, and there's a couple of clips that test to that, but. I think that he appreciates me for all of those things. And that's a huge reason why he chose to cook with me in the finale. And I think he knew that my style would be much different than his. And that would be challenging for him too. Because he knew that he couldn't just put up smoke and mirrors, that the food had to taste the same way that it looked. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very rarely did you have an occasion where somebody said your food I think I can think of one moment where somebody had something negative to say about your food, and that was the lobster was slightly overcooked. And yep. other than that, I can't think of any moments where anybody... It was just... It all looked incredible, and everyone always raved about it. So it made sense to me. Um, I need you to make that bolognese for me, man. I I, I I need a big old help scoop a bowl of that. And uh, But what whiskey was in those glasses that you were drinking at, on the show? Because... I I kept staring and I kept thinking, okay, that's dark, that's uh, that's rich. Are they are they? You know, what what are they pouring? And you said whistle pig, and I'm thinking, okay, is that what's going on in the glass? I just wanted to see a bottle, but no one, no bottle showed itself. So I kept hitting my head, like, what is he drinking? Because I know you're a whiskey guy, I know you love your whiskeys. So I want to know what conversations happened around what whiskey I don't even care about the conversations I want to know what whiskey was in those glasses and so, and second part of that question who didn't drink whiskey so I can rewatch the entire show and not root for them
0: I don't think that anyone didn't drink whiskey hmm. um uh so the whiskeys that we had on the show were uh, like the standard everyday stocked whiskeys were bullet rye and bullet bourbon. Mm. So it just kind of depended on the day, whether we were drinking the the rye or the bourbon. Um, I think I, we drank the rye till the rye was gone. Then we did the bourbon. Uh, as far as people that didn't drink it, I don't think there was anyone that didn't drink it. Uh, I just think there were some people that preferred not to. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Ed and I shared a bourbon. I think there's even a moment where I'm like, hey, man, you want a shot of bourbon? I feel like during the the day it was like okay champagne and beer if we were like had some downtime uh and we but we were drinking and then in the evening it was it was bourbon or rye. Is it safe
1: yeah. is it safe to say that your entire success was was due to whiskey? I mean, it's probably I mean, you I, won because of yeah, right, right, of course, yeah.
0: I, I I had to win because of whiskey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a whiskey
1: <laughs> show, so we had to get that out of the air, out there. Um, I want to talk about something else too. That's really fun. I, do, I I all jokes aside, you you are emotional. You're an emotional guy, and you take a lot of that to heart. Um, but I want to dig into that a little bit. You have your obviously your your fiance or your your, um, your your beautiful um, wife, fiance. Are you married yet? Wife. Wife. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I saw the pictures. Um, I'm an idiot. Anyway, he does no research unless it's whiskey-focused. You're a beautiful (laughs) wife. You're you're an amazing wife. um, You're family. But you fold into that. And I know people that work for you. And Delaware is very small, for those that don't know. Uh, We all know each other. Um, You're probably one of the bosses out there that people talk very highly of and feel cared about. Is... And I think it's brought up on the show too, especially your speech at the end about you know what you wanted, you know why you should win. You do care about your people. It's and I think you hit the nail on the head earlier. And what the whole show's about. It's not just a cooking competition. It's a chef competition, uh, leader competition. Uh, you know caring about your people. It's not just you being successful at your entire team. Can we talk a little bit about where that comes from and what? why that's so important to a chef and a team because you're very team focused. I, I there's no I in any of your restaurants.
0: And I love, absolutely love that about you. Uh, I think the team to me equals longevity. Um, it equals amplification. Look, you know, anything that I can do personally is, You know, it is what it is. I can make a beautiful plate of food and put it up. Somebody thinks it's delicious. That's fine. But if by proximity and behavior, I can help someone else be successful in the future. I think one of the, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I think one of the things that I do well as a leader is go, I understand everybody that works in one of the restaurants is not going to go on and do this forever. I understand that, you know, they might work for me for six months. Mm-hmm. and then go on to another job another like school whatever it is but for me i think it's important as an employer and as a leader to let them know that that's okay and be supportive of them whatever the path is that they're taking so if they're leaving to go you know work at fedex because they want to have a 9 to 5 and be home with their family more power to you love it like figure out what you want to do and and live that life mm-hmm. and and be Doing it and don't do shit based off of what everybody else thinks that you should do or don't be the type of chef that you think that everyone else expects you to be. Um, I just think that it's, I think that coming into this business and I heard it from my father a lot, but then I heard it from chefs and mentors early on that like, if you want to be in this business, you have to do this. If you want to survive in this business, you have to be like that. Uh, You can't do this. You can't do that. You have to do it this way, have to do it that way. And, Uh, quite frankly, it's just all bullshit. Mm. Um, That is their perspective of how they had to behave to be successful. And it's not reality. Yeah. Uh, And I think that in our business, we need to do a big, uh, big amount of soul searching and looking in the mirror and realizing that all of those like historical norms of how this business has to be one in 2023 they're bullshit. It doesn't have to be that way. And two, like we need to attract new people to this business and we can't do it by making them work 70 hours a week for $12 an hour. And then on top of that, turn around and ask them to not be with their family on Christmas. Cause we want to make an extra 10 grand. Yeah. Um, uh, we have to have soul to what we do. Like as a chef, you can't do it by yourself. You cannot do it by yourself. Even in my private chef business, I have two sous chefs who've worked with me across multiple businesses at this point because I can't do it all by myself. And there are people, there's a lot of chefs out there that think that they can. And they end up folding under the pressure because they try to do everything by themselves with a minimal amount of interaction from other people. It's just not sustainable. It's not a model that I want to press forward. It's not the example that I want to set for young people that want to come into this business. And we need young people to come into this business.
1: Yeah. There's a movement now of, of artistry with, you know, cocktail making and, you know, cooking. And, and I I love seeing this new momentum. My only fear is a lot of the, the social media or film where we get ideas for this stuff really portrays either a toxic environment or, portrays a pretentious environment. And I don't want people to think whiskey's the same way. It's, you know, it, it can be very, when you're in the industry, there's a lot of toxicity, but there's also a lot of pretentiousness that, that shouldn't exist. And I think cooking, you know, the restaurant environment can be the same way. But I have also met people that just want to put good food on a plate, care about what they do, care about their ingredients And those are the places that I lean towards. And to be honest with you, Robbie, that's why I wanted you on the show. And I was excited to have you because you're one of the people that, you know, projects the idea of this artistry that I believe in. It's important. The food's important. Family's important. You want to tell a story. I want to care about what I'm eating. And I want it to be good. And I think those two things you know, don't have to be pretentious, and they don't have to be mutually exclusive. So bravo, you, you, you do kill it, right? You know, if you haven't, and we'll go over this in a little bit, um, Robbie's restaurants, um, if you haven't attended any of them or, or eaten his food, you've missed out because it's absolutely incredible, him and his team. Um, lastly, Robbie, before we go into a little bit about, you know, where people can find you everything. I want to talk about another elephant in the room. Are you removing all ticket machines from your uh, places of establishment? Um, Does that does that noise still keep you up at night? The uh, the I tried to find a clip of it and I couldn't, but I wanted to play that for you and see how far I could drive you down the uh, down the chaos hole. But uh, that that yeah,
0: that we'll always have ticket machines. one because I hate the computer system. I hate the the other way of doing it, which is to have a, a screen on the line that you're messing with and double tap in to make orders. Uh, rock, like, I don't like that. I like the physical ticket, but the sound, you know, it's yeah. it is the sound of my. <laughs> um, you do hear it sometimes, and you're like, I just wish that it would go away. Yeah. Um. Fortunately enough, like in in Pizzeria Mariana, like yeah, we have a ticket printer, but it's not like a major. Um, it's not like a major sound. I don't know if it's just the way that the the places is formed or whatever. I yeah. uh, oh man, it's not like you dread it coming in, but I'm also not managing a multiple course pickup like I am in some of the nicer restaurants I've worked in.
1: You um, you made a comment during the show when that thing went on. Oh, I think everybody made a comment. It was it was almost like this. This, uh, I was in, you know, being a former Marine, and I like to bring that up as often as I can, um, because it's important that everybody knows how important I, yeah, thank me for my service. Um, I'm one of those guys that goes to Applebee's for his free meal every Veterans Day. Uh, I'm not, I'm kidding. But, um, boot camp teaches you that certain noises can create this heightened, uh, you know, this heightened moment of chaos in your soul. You know, hearing the drill instructor's door open, or their clip clap of their of their shoes, you know, as they're walking down the court. To me, in a in a in a in a in a place like that, in a in a um in a an environment where you're being tested and you know competition, to hear that machine go off, it must just cause the the hair on the back of your neck to. Because God knows what's coming across that printer. And for those that don't know, on the show which you'll watch and love. Um, how they got their their new games or their new um, the, the new con- or the, the, the next challenge was from a ticket machine that made a very um, specific sound and, and that sound creates some type of PTSD, I'm sure in these chefs now. And um, so when you see a chef, you know, just remember what they went through um, with that <laughs> ticket machine. But I can imagine in a real restaurant, a high you know octane restaurant, when the tickets start rolling in, there's almost there's almost a lullaby there, almost a symphony there of that's business, that's money in the till, but that's also that means that's that's lights, camera, action. Am I wrong? You know that's when the tickets yep. start rolling, that's when that moment is happening, and um, so there's almost a love it, hate. I'm assume to me it's like
0: it's like a, a metronome that's setting the tempo for mm. for mm. what is uh, and you know the beginning of service. It's very much like a. a like every couple of minutes it comes in and you hear it and whatever. And then when it starts to tick up, you start to move faster, focus more, play faster. And it's one of those, it, it, it is one of those like auditory cues that when we're teaching young line folks to like have a sense of urgency about what's going on. Like, hey, when you start to hear this, it, mean, it, it, it means now we're not walking anymore. We're moving yeah. with a purpose. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, on the show, it was like, okay, what do we got to do now? And it always happened. I feel like the tickets always went off when you were the most tired or you were just starting to like really enjoy your downtime. Then it was like, and you had to go back in and do it. So
1: you, you had a dinner service to do. And the the way the show, it was like 7am, you, you finished prepping at midnight and you were talking about, I used every minute of my prep time. You finished prepping at midnight, and then you went to sleep, and then seven a.m. you were up cooking for dinner service, and my wife and I were like, "It's seven a.m. What are they doing up already?" I'm like, "I just it's a time thing." Yeah, I mean all I mean they're creating art. You're not going to wake up at five thirty for a six o'clock meal. Um, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so my point is, thank a chef, tip a tip tip your uh, tip your waiters and waitresses because you know. The whole team, from them all the way up, have a lot to do to make you feel special and and, and experience something delicious and amazing. So I really do care about people who like you, Robbie, and people in your industry. Um, again, I love food. I love experiencing food from someone that cares about what they're doing the same way I do. I feel about whiskey. And um, you can taste that. You can taste that love and, and respect, and that's really cool. I'll go to McDonald's, too, and it's a different experience. But my point to this is thank, thank you, people like you out there making this your art form and letting us experience it. Robbie, where, Chef, can, where can we find you? Where are you at? Where are your restaurants? What are you doing? What are you up to? What's happening? Where can people go put a fork in their mouth um, from your establishment?
0: Sure. So I am the owner uh, and chef of Pizzeria Mariana, which is on Cleveland Avenue in Newark. We're open six days a week. We have wood-fired pizza, homemade pastas. You will see the Moms Bolognese make its way onto the menu, Um, as well as probably a couple other things from the show. And then apart from that now, I am exclusively uh, in my private chef and catering company, which is called Ingest Events. It's a play on words, I n J E S T events and catering. So I do private chef. I'll come to your home and cook multiple courses for you. I'll do dinner for you. Uh, someone, someone from my team or myself will do that. Then I also do all manner of catering, whether it's, you know, a small brunch for eight. It's what I did earlier today. I did like a book club brunch or a party for 600.
1: Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Um, you also have a really cool website, um, that I want to, uh, Robbie um, where you can find you know, his Twitter feeds on there. There's different books you recommend, it looks like. Um, there's all kinds of good information there. Instagram, of course, and, and yep. uh, Facebook. I, that's where I follow you at, too. Um, Robbie, thank you. Chef, thank you so much. <laughs> Congratulations on another win. Thank- um, well-earned and i hope to see more from you in the future um i can't wait to visit your restaurants again i do partake already but now it just feels different so you know whatever um (laughs) and thanks for coming on the show man it it, it's been
0: fun
2: yeah
0: you know i follow you guys i enjoy it as a as a whiskey or brown liquor drinker i think that it's great
1: thanks man hopefully
0: we can do and wear food and my food and your whiskey uh come together in the
1: future let's do it man let's do it yeah i got i'll have my people contact your people (laughs) perfect right on so that was robbie jester uh chef robbie jester uh here in delaware Follow him, find him, eat his food, watch The Pressure Cooker. Uh, it's a great show, binge-worthy, total binge-worthy show. Um, I watched it in two days. Um, it's very, it's a lot of fun and very interesting and a great group of people. Um, but yeah, Robbie Jester. Uh, we've done an episode with him in the past. Go ahead and listen to that one too. I'll put in the show notes uh, where you can find that. Um, but anyway, just remember, eat food, eat well, care about the people that make the food and make the whiskey for you they're really working hard out there guys Uh, but also remember it's not about finding the perfect dram it's all in the chase cheers chasers